0: In the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 1 to 21. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Isaacar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose from Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us, and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one who was named shifra and the other puah when you act as midwives to the hebrew women and see them on the birthstool if it is a boy kill him but if it is a girl she shall live but the midwives feared god they did not do as the king of egypt commanded them but they let the boys live so the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them why have you done this and allowed the boys to live the midwife said to Pharaoh because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them so God de- dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and became very strong And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families. The word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. Lord, we uh, begin with a confession. We confess that so often your world seems like it is beyond your touch, that you are absent from it. In places of war, places of heartache, places of struggle, we must admit that it is hard to see your light in the darkness. We pray. That you would shine your light in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would bring us hope and peace and joy in spite of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you are getting the church newsletter, you'll know that we're beginning a sermon series in the book of Exodus exodus in a nutshell the story of god's deliverance of god's people the hebrews from in egypt and into the promised land of canaan the series will take us into november so buckle up and enjoy the ride is all i got to say about that and you'll notice i mean commandments as our uh prayer of confession so there will be uh, exodus-y things peppered throughout our services from this Uh, point on so if you're wondering why are we talking about the Ten Commandments this doesn't seem to have anything to do with the Ten Commandments and it has everything to do with the Ten Commandments uh, because the Ten Commandments are from Exodus so as I said uh, buckle up enjoy the ride uh, out of Egypt (laughs) so today we're beginning with the first chapter Uh, the beginning we're beginning at the beginning things start off pretty well actually it begins with the previous book, where the previous book, The Book of Genesis left off. Uh, we're told that all the sons of Jacob settled in the land of Egypt after escaping a famine back home in Canaan. If you know the story, it's uh, kind of a miracle. If you know if you've ever seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, you will know the general story of how that part goes with Joseph. but Joseph's brothers sold their youngest brother, Joseph, into slavery because they were jealous that he was their dad's favorite. I mean, if you think your kids are bad, I mean, <laughs> Jacob's kids, the worst. Uh, by providence, though, divine providence, though, Joseph, who made his way to Egypt as a slave, uh, he could interpret dreams. He ends up in the, in the palace of Pharaoh. Uh, he ends up working his way up to prime minister of Egypt. And when his brothers came begging after they were starving back home, he could have exacted his revenge, but Joseph forgave them and arranged for them to leave foodless Canaan uh, for the lush fields fed by the Nile. Things worked out very nicely for Israel after they left, so much so that uh, this starving flock of bony Hebrews has grown into a strong army of healthy strong citizens they have become fruitful and they have multiplied so things started off pretty well Uh, they started off pretty well israel's doing well they're flourishing Uh, god's people are well fed and preserved from danger things start pretty well and now of course you know that things don't stay so well at all because there is a regime change A regime change happens. The old pharaoh, the king of Egypt, dies, and a new pharaoh comes to power, one who we're told who didn't know Joseph. He didn't have that relationship that Joseph had with the previous pharaoh, where he was uh, close, tight-knit, best buds. But by this time, everybody has died. Uh, The new pharaoh has died as well, and there's a whole new generation. and apparently, the new pharaoh is, is threatened by all this vitality of the Israelites. Uh, the Hebrews have been so faith fruitful; they've been so strong, and they've multiplied themselves into outnumbering the Egyptians, in fact. They went from 70 to 700,000 plus. Um, so the new pharaoh can kind of see how this is all going to play out, right? He's like, okay all right there's say that we have a border skirmish with the neighboring empire and uh these guys these 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 israelites they could make allies with our enemies and fight against us so that's one possibility there's too many of them they can overpower us and uh, the other option is that maybe they could just pack up and leave and uh, all that economic productivity lost that would just go it would be like you know uh The factories leaving the Midwest in Ontario, that's what it would be like. So we've got to do something, uh, create a massive labor shortage. All this flourishing of the Israelites has become a huge liability for us, so we've, we've just got to do something. They're out of control. If we don't, they're going to take us over, or they're going to leave. Either way, we're toast. So the strategy of the Egyptians is to work the Israelites to death. That is their strategy. They equip taskmasters with whips and they shackle the hebrews with change they press them into service building supply cities and huge monuments and military bases at first it doesn't look like it's going to work because the more the hebrews are pressed the more they multiply and grow so pharaoh just ratchets it up more and more and the brickyard quotas are increased uh, to superhuman levels the israelites can't possibly possibly keep up but somehow they do keep up And the more they're oppressed, the more they flourish, and they grow. So when that doesn't work, the Egyptians resort to to genocide. They resort to ordering the Hebrew midwives, the ones that are there when all the children are born, uh, to kill all the newborn Hebrew boys. No more boys means no more potential soldiers and it means every girl would end up with an Egyptian husband, meaning the whole next generation would be Egyptian, or at least half, half Egyptian. Uh, so they kill some, and they, they want to kill some, they want to breed, breed the rest out. Um, you know, it starts out pretty well, but with safety and food and flourishing, and with a simple change in government, all that falls apart it descends into slavery and oppression and this is how the exodus the story of the exodus really begins this is how they get into slavery in Egypt it's all rather disturbing now if you're a Bible nerd or geek of some kind and you read the the text you'll discover something that's maybe even more disturbing more disturbing. And you'll notice this notable absence up until this point in the story. You'll notice that somebody is missing from the story. If you pay attention to the text, you'll notice that through the journey into Egypt and the descent into slavery, while all this is taking place, God isn't named once. If you grab your Bible and look, you'll notice that. That the God who created the universe, the God who called Abraham, the great-grandfather of Joseph, and and, pr- and promised him a future and to be a mighty nation, this God appears to be missing in action while his people are oppressed and taken into slavery. You know, if God's so powerful, why doesn't God just zap Pharaoh with a lightning bolt and bring them out? Like, it just seems simple, like, why not these are god's people but all this happens all the slavery happens and on the surface there is no god to be seen and you know this is exodus is kind of written very particularly this is all done on purpose because this is generally the way that it works in our world isn't it if there is a god and if this god not only cares for but loves the world where is this God when things go wrong? Where is this God when the whip falls? Where is this God when people are taken into slavery and suffer? Furthermore, where is this God when we're drawn personally into the depths of depression? When gray nothingness like Pharaoh sits on the throne? Where's God then? This point is made in the great by the great Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky in his novel The Brothers Karamazov. I have not yet to get through the whole thing, but I know about this part, okay? Um, So the brother Ivan, who is an atheist, he says that if God's goodness relies on the suffering of one innocent child, there might as well be no God. That is his argument, that suffering, even the suffering of one innocent person is an argument against the existence of God. And, you know, there's an intentionality. There's an honesty to how the story of the exodus begins, right? God is absent. God is silent because it knows that cruelty and violence and oppression, inflicted suffering, these are all experiences in life that are akin to godlessness, to God forsakenness. can even provide us with some of the strongest arguments against God's goodness or God's existence altogether. Where is God when the whip comes down? Where is God when tyrants move on children? God appears to be missing in action. Now, I would hate to disappoint everybody, but I don't have a airtight answer to the question as to why god allows this or that thing to happen i'm not going to provide that i think that theologians have been wrestling with this sort of slippery snake for centuries and still haven't pinned it down it's not the answer that i have to give to you now exodus and the christian tradition broadly but exodus That we're going to walk through for the next few months it does offer something of a promise to us and the promise is this that there is a god okay so we start out good there is a god this is one of the promises and that this god is greater and more powerful than any pharaoh out there, whether a literal human being or a force or a power of suffering in our life. But this God's work is largely hidden. This God's work is largely hidden in places and through people you wouldn't expect. So there is a God, there's a God that is more powerful than any pharaoh we can imagine, but this God's work is more than often hidden I mean look at the cross I mean this is where we say that God is most active God is hidden within suffering and pain now the first clue is in the language that is used at the beginning of this chapter if you flipped back to the beginning of the chapter you'll notice when when Israel arrives in Egypt it says this the Israelites were fruitful and prolific, they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled in them. So if you're familiar with the book of Genesis at all, this is the language of God's original blessing of creation. Fruitful, multiply. God tells all the animals and the human beings, all of creation, to be fruitful and multiply. This is God's word and God's work in creation. It's the same language that God promises Abraham and Sarah that, you know, hey, you're ninety, you're gonna have some kids. Right? Be fruitful and multiply. And they do, they have Isaac, and that they said that their number their children would number more than the stars of heaven. And it's used again here in our text fruitful multiply. The God isn't mentioned by name, God isn't explicit, God isn't seen here in the text. Here it says that there is a hidden power for, lo- power for life at work among God's people. Remember how Pharaoh begins to crush them, they just keep growing stronger? Same language, they are fruitful and they multiply even more. This is the first clue, it's the hidden work of God in creation. The same fire that powered the big bang that hung the stars in the sky that Christians believe raised Jesus from the dead even though we can't see it this power is at work still today. It's been work at work behind the scenes. Whether it's in political oppression or spiritual depression, whether it's in the crushing boot of fear and anxiety, around global politics, or the tyranny of shame and doubt. The promise is that the same power for, power for life, though usually hidden, is surging through our world and our lives, holding death at bay and working for its overthrow. The promise is that no matter how deep we are driven into Egypt, there is a power for life that will raise us out of slavery, that will raise us from the dead, a power that Pharaoh... No pharaoh can contain or crush or control. No matter how hard he tries, it's the power of God. The power, God's power for life. God's blessing at work in creation. And if it's true that this power is here among us, at work in us, it's liable to change us. These are my, you know, this, is, this, this part of my story has my two favoritely named characters in all of the Bible. You know, remember how Pharaoh's plan is to have each Hebrew boy killed at birth? Well, two of these midwives, Pua and Shipra. Now I want whoever's here planning to have children. Next one. Next ones. Next two. These are the names, okay? Pua, Shiprah. <laughs> Shipra say, when you grow up, it would be really great if you could be midwives. Uh, They do good work. They make a decent wage. Who knows? Maybe you'll stand up to Pharaoh. Uh, (laughs) In fact, the midwives kind of do this humorous thing. They tell Pharaoh that, you know, these Hebrew women, they're so strong, so vital that they give birth so fast that the babies are out before we even get there. We can't do it. I mean, we tried. I mean, we ran there. But they were gone. I mean, the Hebrew women are strong. And they do give birth fast. But they just can't, and they can't make, make it to the birth. Now, why would these two people do this at all, right? It's a hugely risky thing standing up to Pharaoh, especially with such a fanciful story. You know, he's the Fuhrer, right? Think of it that way. They're just a couple of healthcare practitioners. What do they have to say or do in the face of Pharaoh? He's got all the lawyers, guns, and the money, total power. What do these midwives got? The answer we're given is this. They disobeyed Pharaoh because, quote, they feared God. They disobeyed Pharaoh because they feared God. God. Now, don't get all hung up in the language of fear, you know. For some of us, the idea of fearing God brings us back to bad childhood experience of religion. Maybe it conjures us in us the image of God that's kind of like Pharaoh, actually, one that is ready, quick to punish or beat on us, but God is nothing like Pharaoh, right? God is the liberator, no what god inspires in puah and shipra the name of your next children and grandchildren and great grandchildren is awe and respect you might even go say further trust they trust god even though all else is stacked against them they trust that god is in charge and not pharaoh they trust that there is a power of good against this power of evil they have faith that in spite of all of his armies and armories his tanks and his guns and his secret police it's god's will that will be done in the end they believe in god and god's power for life and it changes them it changes them it gives them courage to stand up to the world's greatest superpower later we discovered that this small act undertaken by two seemingly insignificant people under the radar is what God uses to set into motion the end of Pharaoh and to set God's people free I mean you'll notice that we got the names of these two nothing midwives but Pharaoh's just Pharaoh you know we remember these two names because these two people have been made so significant because they are working with God's power for life. And Pharaoh doesn't have a name because the power he's working with is the power of death. Pua and Shipra are willing to risk everything, even life itself, because in protecting these children, they they trust that they're joining the winning side. They're aligned with the long arc of the universe that bends towards justice. They're going with the grain of the good, and it changes them it changes them. It changes them and of course it can change us too. Maybe you've heard the story of the Ten Boom family. Actually, I didn't I don't think I put the slide in. Do you have this? Can you go? Yeah, there you go. Perfect. As you know, during World War II, Jews were being systematically hunted by the Nazi regime. The penalty for offering them safe haven meant risking imprisonment and death. In the Netherlands, though, one family, the Ten Booms, risked their lives anyway by hiding Jews and helping them escape. The father, Casper Tenboom, also a great name, Casper. You know, name your girls, Shipra, name your boys, Casper. Um, <laughs> was asked why he would take such a terrible risk in hiding these children. And, the answer he gave was this. He said, It would be an honor to give my life for God's chosen people. That chosen people that extends all the way back to the Exodus and Joseph and Jacob. Soon after he made this bold claim, his four children and nephew and him were arrested by the secret police, having been betrayed by members of the Dutch resistance. They were imprisoned in Ravensburg concentration camp, and only one of them, his daughter, Corey, survived the camp. The rest of them died. And Corey tells the story in her famous memoir, The Hiding Place, which I actually think we have in the St. George's Library. Now, unlike Pua and Shipra, Ten Boom and most of his family didn't survive but they too were midwives for God's power for life they too feared giving up on God more than they did giving in to Pharaoh living in what seemed like a hopeless time with the power of death hanging over them it was God who strengthened their resolve it was God who gave them the willingness to resist, to go against the grain. In spite of the God-forsakenness of their situation, they drew on a power greater than Pharaoh, greater than all other powers in heaven and on earth, greater than kings, greater than any human strength, the power of God, one that can't be stamped out, arrested, or killed. They didn't survive. They didn't save everybody. They didn't stop the Holocaust. No, but God used them. God made them instruments of divine grace small lights leading out of the darkness midwives of a future not worth not their own a future they didn't live to see in this world but one they will see one day with their own eyes in the next when god's new creation finally comes to term They were the midwives on the way. And the beauty, dear friends, is that that same power is at work in you and in me. The truth is that in human history, in our world, in our lives, they can be places of violence and pain, oppression, slavery, death, Sin in such a world, God can seem so absent at times. The Exodus tells this story, the absence, quite well. But the real story, the truer story, the Exodus also tells is the story of the hidden work of the Creator, a hidden power for life surging through creation, one that can't be stopped, one that can never be contained, a power that, if we let it, will take hold of ordinary people like us and make us into midwives, people who, by grace, are willing to let this power be born in us. May you be filled with God's power for life. May it erase your anxieties and your fears, and may it spark in you that deep sense of God's presence and a sense of life in the midst of death and a sense of strength during your hardest times and your sorrow. I offer all this to you
2: Day, make me a channel of your peace. Make me a channel.
1: remain standing as we were.